0: to Trinity Health's Medically Speaking with your host, Robin Sills.
1: Hi, everyone. Again, Robin Sills from Trinity Health of New England, um, St. Mary's Hospital. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, The rain has finally started to let up and the sunshine is gonna be coming out in the next several days um, and hopefully right through the weekend. So let's get out there, enjoy it, and hopefully our grass is gonna be green again and maybe we will sneak out some better colors for the trees. They said we weren't gonna get that great color, but maybe this rain might have helped us. So again, thank you for joining me. We um, are entering the month of September and we are going to talk about um, Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, which is in September. And what I wanted to do, Instead of starting, which I traditionally do, with our urology team and our our incredible urologist, I wanted to um, start with our genetic program um, for prostate cancer testing. And we have on the line with us tonight our APRN, Yvonne Roy-Stein, who is um, an APRN with Trinity Health of New England and has been focused the last several years Um, on genetic testing in our breast program out of Southbury and now currently also um, supporting um, genetic testing in the Lever Cancer Center. And, you know, doctors have definitely known for decades that genetics can play a vital role in breast and ovarian cancer. Um, lately, though, scientists have begun to realize that many of these same genetic changes may lead to a man's risk of developing prostate cancer. And these findings, when found earlier um, in earlier detection, the, during the process, the survival rate um, for men is much higher. So I've invited Yvonne on the phone with us tonight uh, to talk more about um, her work and what she's doing. Hi, Yvonne. Hello, Robin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you again so much for joining us. Um, you know, John, Johnny and I were talking, and I go, yes, Yvonne is drinking He goes, oh, I I love Yvonne. I, say, I said, well, we're not doing breast tonight. He goes, <laughs> I said, no, we're talking about prostate cancer. But, um, you know, and as I said earlier, you know, it's really... The prostate screening for genetic testing is definitely um, something in the last several years that's coming more to the forefront and so excited that you've, you know, taken that on for Trinity Health of New England and made it important for us to hear and listen and educate. So, you know, again, thank you for taking that mountainous task on and being so dedicated to your work that we can get this done. My pleasure. So I want to talk a little bit about you. I want to give the, if the audience has not heard you before, maybe tell us a little bit about your history um, and how you came into the field of genetic testing.
0: Well, I joined um, the Waterbury community about 18 years ago, wow. um, I know, uh, I joined St. Mary's Hospital in 2005 and uh, was working with Dr. Ellen Polakoff, one of the breast surgeons. And then Dr. Sealing joined and brought up the possibility of me doing genetic counseling and testing because back then, the only people who did it were at Yale in New Haven and it just was we wanted to keep it in the community so right. yes I agreed to do it <laughs> and um, gosh then what happened so I did that for a few years and then really enjoyed it so got more educated on it uh, became certified as a genetic nurse
1: and what does that and, entail because I know you went somewhere to mm-hmm. do that
0: well, there's a course at um, a hospital called the City of Hope in California, and it was a, it was coursework and tests and creating a portfolio, and um, it it was a lot of work, but very worth it because the City of Hope, their goal is to train non-genetic counselors to accurately um, do genetic risk assessment for cancer. So there were PAs in the course, there were doctors in the course, there were nurses, there were nurse practitioners, and we're all people who aren't official master's mm. degree genetic counselors, but uh, taught us really how to be experts at cancer Uh, risk assessment and genetic counseling in that field.
1: Now, when you went for that training, was the focus on specific cancers? Was it mostly breast at that time? Like what what was the main focus back in the day?
0: Yeah, back then, I mean, that was 2011. So back then, the indications for genetic testing were more limited and uh, it was breast and ovarian. And there was an inkling that pancreatic cancer may play a role, uh, or that I should say, genetics play a role in pancreatic cancer. And and since then, I mean, now we're eleven years later. There are so many more indications for genetic counseling and testing.
1: So you know, as you've been through this process over the past eleven years with this, I you I know you've been eating this up like a sponge what have you learned in your work in working particularly you know early on with the with the breast cancer patients and now ovarian cancer patients and you're also working with some of our colorectal patients so what have you learned with these each and every one of these situations that have brought you maybe more awareness in in, in taking an intake on another person
0: well number 1 Um, Doing an accurate family history is absolute rock bottom, like the bare minimum, and finding out who in the family had cancer, what type of cancer they had, and how old were they when they were diagnosed, and not just parents, but brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, both sides of the family. The father's side is equally as important as the mother's side. Um, That has been the absolute bare minimum number one um, most important thing, to start identifying people who need to consider genetic counseling and testing.
1: I don't feel it's talked about enough.
0: I agree. I get consults a lot where um, someone will come in and they have a family history. They'll say, oh, the mother had breast cancer at 45, And I go beyond, and I do a family tree with the patient, and we're looking at aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, and there's way more than just mom with breast cancer at 45. And it can often change the eligibility for the insurance companies to pay for the genetic testing. In general, the more relatives you have, the younger age at onset of the cancer, the more likely the insurance company is to pay. That is not a hard and fast rule. But right in general, yeah. And
1: you know, it's funny, but you know, I'm thinking about these family trees and, and genetics, and I remember in nursing school, you know, we got a taste of this, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about all different types of disease processes and how things are passed down. And, you know, we did a lot of it. But in, as you look at it in depth, some of the he says, you know, we always don't know what even our grandmother or grandfathers passed from, you know, because things were not as they are now.
0: Absolutely. So I'll 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 say two things about that. One is, okay, I'm not going to date myself, but I went to nursing school a long time ago, <laughs> and I know you were there before me. I was. But we weren't. We learned how to do family trees. We did. But there was very little genetics education, because they didn't even find the BRCA genes, Mm -hmm. BRCA1 and BRCA2, until the mid-90s. Right. So I was out of nursing school by that time. Mm. So the field has exploded because uh, the technology has uh, exploded as well, and we're learning more faster now. Mm. And you know, because you've worked, of course,
1: you know, in the early days, mostly with um, the BRCA and because our breast cancer patients, they women really wanted to know, right? Really, women really wanted to know and they wanted to get the testing done. But then you do have that certain population that is afraid to know.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is, if, if someone comes in for a consultation for genetic counseling and testing, it doesn't, um, it doesn't mean they absolutely have to have the testing. We sit down, we do the family tree, we talk about the indications for genetic testing, and I talk all about the genes and you know what if they're mutated and what we would do and what don't you do. And then people have three choices. I either draw their blood and we do the testing. Mm. I don't draw their blood. They don't want to do the testing. Or they think about it and I call them in a week or so. I would say 98% of people who come in end up doing the testing. Right. But um, it doesn't... You know, only you know yourself, and whether the knowledge that you are at elevated risk for cancer would be worse than not knowing. I mean, and that's I can't make a decision like that for someone. Only the patient knows. And the other thing I was going to say is that the way I look at it, it's it's empowering, and a Mm -hmm. lot of people see it that way. If you know your risk you can screen, you have the opportunity to screen and detect early. Or sometimes you even have the opportunity to reduce your risk of developing cancer. So when people think about it that way, they think, maybe it's not so scary. Maybe I can, you know, have a little bit of control. over right. this. And,
1: you know, also, I think women nowadays are more in tuned with taking that control. I think, before generations even my generation and earlier um were you know i don't have a family history i'm okay but it has to start somewhere right
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean definitely the the older generations may think you know this this isn't useful information for me right. again there's a couple things to say about that um Testing an 80-year-old, right, you're, you, you probably aren't going to change their cancer screening. Right. If they're positive, though, then their children have a risk of carrying the mutation. So a lot of older people will test, not necessarily for themselves, but to rule in or rule out a mutation in their kids. And then their kids can do something about it.
1: Right. And then, you know, in, more information gives you more power as you say.
0: Absolutely, yes, yes. So women are all about taking control and having agency over their own health.
1: Absolutely. So BRCA1 and BRCA2, were those the first mutations that came to be back in 2011 when we were really looking at genetics and cancer in general?
0: So BRCA1 and 2 are genes, and those were the first cancer genes discovered I mean basically you know they saw that there were a subset of young women very young women who were developing cancer and they had families who developed cancer at young ages and there was breast cancer and there was ovarian cancer and then they looked at those families and um, and and found those specific genes that were responsible and then what genetic testing is, is looking for a mutation in those genes. So that was the first cancer genetic testing was BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations.
1: So, and the reason why I'm going down that path is that BRCA1 and BRCA2 is not just linked to breast cancer, but really could be linked to other cancers as we're talking Absolutely. about tonight.
0: Right? Absolutely. So, Right. Once they got a little experience with the genes, they realized it wasn't just breast cancer. Mm. There was ovarian cancer risk as well. And then a few years later, they realized, oh, there's an increased risk of pancreatic cancer and melanoma. And in men, prostate cancer. So the, the genes were always the same. It was just the realization that there were more than just breast and ovarian cancer risk that was elevated if there was a mutation in in one of those genes.
1: So and, you know, which brings us to our discussion tonight, right? Mm -hmm. So which is why I kind of wanted to start with the, you know, a little bit about the BRCA to talk about how we got where we're at now. So now we know that there's this whole subset, you know, of patients who could have had a sister, a mother daughter with breast cancer and now they develop prostate cancer and they're not thinking it's related, but it could be. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, genetic testing, it used to be something that women thought about. And, and even when I'll tell someone in the office, you know, who may be 60, 70, 80 years old and they say, well, what would I do with the information? Well, not, you know, you might not do a ton with the information, but what about your children? Oh, no, no, I just have sons. And I would say, oh, but men have an increased risk of prostate, pancreatic cancer, melanoma, and male breast cancer. And, you know, it's this whole hidden side of of BRCA mutations. It does not just affect women. It affects men as well. So, you know,
1: you... you may not have a family member with prostate cancer, but you may have family members with breast cancer, ovarian cast cancer, and they Absolutely. should be tested, right?
0: Right, and it, it depends on what your family looks like as well, and that's why I do the family tree. If you have a very female-dominated family, there's going to be more breast and ovarian cancer. Right. If you have a more male-dominated family, there's going to be more prostate and pancreatic cancer if there's a, a mutation. But any, I mean, the, the indications for genetic testing, um, that's why it's so important to get the, the family history of the men and the women and the mother's side and the father's side and go out to the grandparents and the aunt, uncles, and right. cousins on both sides. Yep. So
1: let's so let's look at it, uh, uh, someone that's been di- recently diagnosed with prostate mm-hmm. cancer. Um, mm-hmm. When that patient is diagnosed and say the, the, um, the physician, the urologist with the patient says, you know, we found this really early. We're probably, it, probably right now we're just going to watch it. I'm sure mm-hmm. they hear that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a good time to take a step back and say, okay, I need a little bit more knowledge, kind of sitting here waiting. Mm-hmm. Would that be someone that you would recommend Reaches out and says, "You know what? Let's do a family trammy and let's just dig a little bit."
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm looking. I I pulled out the NCCN guidelines, the National Comprehensive mm. Cancer Network guidelines, and these are this these guidelines are the bible for the the best um, cancer centers in uh, the United States of America, and they have the way to um, manage and diagnose. Um, cancer and ba- basically best practices and the first page of prostate cancer is at any diagnosis of prostate cancer um, and I'm quoting inquire about known high-risk germline mutations which means ask if there's a genetic mutation in the family right. and then obtain family history Wow because if you if if you have a early stage, you know, or you could say a mild prostate cancer that you don't think needs to be worked up more or treated more, having a family history of, say, breast, ovarian, pancreatic prostate cancer would allow you to do genetic testing. And then what if you have a mutation? Well, that means you have a higher likelihood of having a more aggressive prostate cancer, which completely changes your thought about management. And, you know,
1: that I've seen just so many, you know, individuals that have not been discussing that. And I think, you know, one, that was one of the biggest reasons why we wanted to talk about this and make this awareness. So, we have gone down, you yourself, as I said earlier, as we started the program, have, you know, d- definitely taken on this um I'd say campaign um, to make sure we get awareness out there and we think the best way to aware make awareness is really awareness to the patients themselves and to re-educate and so when a patient gets diagnosed and they do if they are recommended to come to you or they want to come to you on their own how would that process start
0: um I would say it's it it's it, it reasonable when you're talking to the urologist Mm -hmm. um if you have well first of all you can do a little digging yourself and what i tell people is you know there's one cousin in every family who knows everything about everybody (laughs) and if you're comfortable call them up and ask them you know about any cancer history gather the information and like i said earlier who had cancer what type and how old were they at diagnosis. Mm. Write it all down and then you can bring that to your discussion with your urologist and say hey, you know, we may not have talked about this but I have this family history and there's two breast cancers and there's a, you know, or two prostate cancers or whatever and if there's enough family history there they could make a referral for genetic counseling or um, you know, I have patients call up out of the blue just saying, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this. And again, come prepared with that knowledge of your family history and we sit down. And again, just because someone comes in for a consultation doesn't mean they automatically have to do the genetic testing, but they get educated along the way about the genes and the risk for cancer and whether or not they're candidates or not for the testing.
1: Yeah, and I guess that was my next question. So going along the lines of, you know, I'm saying when a patient is newly really diagnosed, but truly if somebody knows that they have a family member that has prostate cancer, is it reasonable for them to want to be tested themselves?
0: So so I'll I'll step back a little bit and tell you that 10% of prostate cancers are felt to be hereditary. So that's wow. big picture here. Mm-hmm. Most prostate cancer will not be hereditary. So that's something to keep in mind because right. we, we all know people who have prostate cancer right. and most of them are not going to carry a genetic mutation that, right. that predisposed them. So that's big picture. Um, but but um, answering your question... Um, which now i forgot
1: so what you know if they just have a family member you know a father say a father oh or and grand, say a grandfather and a father both had prostate cancer and a couple of mm-hmm. brothers you know and so nobody best, got tested
0: yeah the best person to test is the person with the cancer if mm. it's possible so if you have a grandfather with prostate cancer and he's passed away and then you have a father who has prostate cancer and he's say, 70, and then you have, you know, a son or a daughter who's in their 40s or 50s, I would start with the father right? because he's alive and with cancer. If he's negative for a mutation, then the two kids don't need to test because they can't inherit something that the father doesn't right. have. Right. Unless, of course, the mother side has something. And, you know, we look at that quickly as well. Absolutely. So. Yep. Let's let's pretend you're doing a
1: a little um family tree. Mm-hmm. Let's start from the point the patient comes in and what that conversation mm-hmm. is and, and what you look at.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally, I have a software program and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I do a little bit of intake, you know, medications, allergies, you know, are you on blood thinners? Do you have a history of cancer yourself? Have you had a colonoscopy? You know, do you get your mammograms done? Things like that. And then we dig into the family history. Mm -hmm. So I have this software program and we literally go through relative by relative. And I say, let's start with your ethnicity on your father's side. Um, the reason why that's important is certain ethnic groups have higher risk of carrying certain genetic mutations, especially um the Ashkenazi Jewish population yes. has a higher risk of carrying. BRCA1 and BRCA2 Mm -hmm. mutations. Mm -hmm. So we start with ethnicity and then I say, tell me about your grandparents. How old were they when they passed? Did either of them have any cancer? And I do that for every single relative. And if you've got 18 aunts and uncles on your father's side, we do all 18. Mm. And if your father is an only child, then boy, does that make my life easier. But, (laughs) you know, we do that for aunts, uncles, cousins on dad's side, and then we move over to mom's side, and I do the same exact thing. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and then we go over the siblings, and then the children. And then I have a literal picture, Mm. you know, a family tree of cancer in the family, and then I can look at it, and they analyze it, and say, okay, these are the indications for genetic testing, or not. Right, And then we talk about that and you know, this is what I see and this is, you know, these are the indications why you should consider the genetic testing.
1: And what are your red flags?
0: Red flags are in general cancer under the age of 50 especially mm. breast, colon, or uterine. Mm. Um, any rare cancer like Ovarian, pancreatic, male breast cancer, Mm. Um, multiple cancers in the same person, like a woman with two breast cancers, a person with two colon cancer, cancers, um, breast plus ovarian, colon plus uterine, you know, there's certain combinations that, um, you know, light the light bulb. And then the number of people in the family with the same type of cancer. So usually the magic number is three, um, but you know, it, it can change depending on the age of diagnosis. Those are the big ones. And then any one of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. Yeah. Um, oh, and I forgot, of course, here we are talking about prostate cancer. Any man with aggressive or metastatic prostate cancer, mm-hmm. that is its own indication for genetic testing that's a relatively newer indication.
1: And one of the things um, I know you and I talked about earlier today was their Gleason score. So I think people see that. And how would that change their testing quality? So
0: I am, I am not
1: a urologist. I know. I I know. We'll ask it again one, at the end of the month. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, the Gleason score in general is just a category that the urologist puts um, the The aggressiveness mm. of the prostate cancer, so in general, the lower your Gleason score, the less aggressive, the less likely it is to spread um, and they use your biopsy it's it's very complicated. Yes. I have to get out all these papers when somebody comes in and and I look at their pathology report, but they they use all sorts of different scores from different parts of your biopsy to then give a Gleason score. So, so in general, a Gleason score of 8, 9, or 10 is considered right. more aggressive.
1: So, I mean, you just said another really interesting piece. You know, you're not just sitting there with a, you know, with a tool to do, to do this. You are looking at everything in the patient's history and on their records, including their pathology reports in, in every oh genetic gosh. counseling that you're doing, Right.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And this happens before the appointment, and mm-hmm. it happens after the appointment. Most of the time, I don't try to nerd out on the pathology report during the appointment, <laughs> but absolutely before and after. I'm just trying to gather as much information as I can, because if, if your insurance company will pay for genetic testing if you have air quote aggressive prostate cancer, my job is to figure out, was your prostate cancer graded as Gleason score 8, 9, or 10? And I go to the pathology report for that. And
1: the test is usually a blood test, correct?
0: Yeah. I mean, in theory, you can do it as saliva, but honestly, I have been doing, I mean, I've been doing this for 17 years, and I have drawn blood on well like ninety nine point nine percent of people. there's a few people. there's one lady who swore she would faint if <laughs> if I drew her blood, okay, so I did her saliva but the samples get rejected less often if you send in blood rather than saliva.
1: Absolutely because you can't sometimes you're just not getting all those cells.
0: You're not getting the cells exactly. And then you've like you've you've you know primed yourself that we sent it away and, and you're ready for the results in two or three weeks and then all of a sudden I get a call two weeks later <laughs> saying, "Yeah, the sample failed." We need to recollect. And then you just, then I call the patient and they were all geared up to have their results. And now they have to send in a new sample. Ugh. So, yeah, I just, you know, I draw it with a butterfly, teeny tiny. and um, So you don't need a lot of blood, right? You don't need a lot no. of blood. You just
1: need a two little tubes. bit. Two, tubes. two. Little two little tiny yep. ones. Yep. You know, we we're, because we're connecting this with, you know, talking about the BRCA gene, is there a specific gene? For the prostate cancer, or is it the BRCA gene? So, are they the same gene that you find? What do you see in the report?
0: So, there there are many different prostate cancer predisposition genes. BRCA2 is a big one. Okay. BRCA1 is less likely, or I shouldn't say less likely. There is less of a increased risk of prostate cancer if you have a mutation in BRCA1. There's a gene called HOXB13. There are the Lynch syndrome genes. Those are colon cancer genes, but also increase the risk of many other cancers, including wow. prostate. I could go on and on. Paul wow. B2. I mean, there's, there is a panel of, I think it's 13 prostate genes specifically that I include when I um, order the genetic testing.
1: So if you get one of the other genes, but they're not, it's, say BRCA1, as you mentioned, it's not mm-hmm. usually, What does that give you the red flag then? Of course, this um, individual can be cancer carrying the, the gene for breast cancer and may affect one of his daughter's.
0: Yeah, so if someone has a mutation, no matter what it is, right. once I know what gene has the mutation and what the mutation is, hmm. the lab gives me information about the risk of cancer associated with that mutation and that gene. Oh, so then I go over that with the patient. And if it's prostate cancer, I try to give them an idea of like, you know, you have a whatever, 30% lifetime risk of developing prostate cancer. And then as a woman, you might have a you know, a 50% lifetime risk of developing breast cancer. So I have those, I do my best to gather as much data as I can about the mutation and the risk for cancer. And not only do we talk about, well, what are the risks, but we talk about, okay, now what can you do about these? Right, right. You can, these are the screening recommendations. Mm. These are, you know, risk reduction um, measures that are possible.
1: And I would think for the urologist too, knowing that the patient has a mutation with their cancer, is there, there must be other methods of treatment.
0: Right. So if, um, if a man with prostate cancer carries a mutation in BRCA1 or 2, it opens up other avenues for, for treatment. There wow. are specific uh, regimens that work better in someone with a BRCA1 or 2 mutation. So it's, it's another tool that, that they can use to help manage the patient. But I think what is almost more helpful is if someone knows they have a mutation, say they have a mutation in BRCA2, and they find out when they're, whatever, 35, 40 years old, mm. and then this 50 Um, or say 45, they start having their PSA checked every year like they should, and they have their prostate exam like they should, and then at 50, their PSA starts going up. Well, in the average man without a mutation, you may not jump on that information. There's right. a lot of watching and waiting in right. you know prostate disease, but somebody with a mutation in in b r c a two you know they're at higher risk for prostate cancer right. and you know it's a higher risk for aggressive disease. so maybe you're not going to sit back and wait, right maybe a little more aggressive about okay, let's check another p s a you know, sooner rather than later, or let's biopsy instead of waiting. Right. That's how you diagnose early, is acting upon an abnormal result faster, right? Right.
1: And, you know, these PSAs are so variable, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. I feel so bad for men because they go up and down, go up and down. There's so many variables that make them go up and down, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, particularly prostatitis and all those things. And I definitely will save that for my urologist at the end of the month. But I guess my question is, someone that has elevated PSAs um, Mm -hmm. that are unexplainable, you know, negative biopsies, and then, you know, they treat it, it goes up and down. That's not an indication, would it be? Are they more risk for developing prostate cancer, and should we check their mutation?
0: Well, if, if, if they just have an elevated PSA, and they have no indication or no proven cancer, and they have no family history of any related cancers, right. you know, the breast, the ovarian, the pancreatic, right. other prostate, then no, there's no indication mm. for genetic testing.
1: Right. Makes sense. But no, if, makes
0: sense. Yeah, but I think if, people just um, get scared.
1: You know, they're like, okay, yeah, what do I need to, yeah. you know, it's something hanging out there. Maybe I should be more aggressive in my screening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Well, I would say, again, if you're testing someone, bef- if you're doing genetic testing on someone and identifying the presence or absence of a mutation before they get to the point where their PSA is, is getting, wonky right it it puts someone in a risk category right like having a genetic mutation you're a high risk person so you want to be seen by the urologist as higher risk for for prostate cancer and if your genetic testing is negative and there's no family history of the disease in general you would be considered to be at average risk so then you want your urologist to see you as the average risk person, right. and the way you treat those different people are very different.
1: So let me ask you another question. So you have a patient that comes in, and now you know they're, they they have the gene. That conversation must be—you must have to really think about what that conversation looks like.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've had the conversation long enough, you know, that you know, I have, I have, you know, my 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 numbers written down you know people they want information they want to know okay what are my risks for cancer and then what are we going to do about that risk so i have all my information prepared when the patient comes in and we talk about okay you did have a mutation here's the gene that, that had the mutation and these are the risks for cancer associated with that mutation mm. and then Here's what we can do. And all these are open to you. I mean, you know, a woman with breast cancer, you don't automatically need to consider mastectomy. Absolutely. You can right. have screening done. You can right. have MRIs done. You can be followed closely. So I I prepare, you know, a wide um, variety of, of options. And the person leaves with an idea of the plan, but they go back to their own you know, healthcare providers. Right. They go back to their GYNs to talk about with ovarian plan. They go right. back to the urologist and they talk about the prostate plan and the right. breast surgeon and their GYN for the breast plan. Right. But as I you said, said, it's them, it's more knowledge mm-hmm. and more power. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And you know, I you know, I guess too, you know, in in looking at this, once they have that information, and they do say. We'll, we'll go with them, you know, because we'll, we're talking about prostate with a man, and, you know, they're going to do an increased surveillance of that of that man. Insurance companies, knowing that they have the gene, or that information helps them to get that testing done.
0: <sighs> Hopefully. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, know. No, I mean, so I can't speak for prostate because I don't have as right. much experience with prostate as I do with, you know, the breast and the other things. But I know that having a mutation in BRCA2 is is an indication for the insurance companies to pay for an MRI for a woman every year of her breast if she wants to do increased surveillance. My guess is it translates to men and the prostate, Mm. but I I just haven't had enough um, experience. Absolutely, because we're just starting with this, right? We're just starting with this. It's really relatively new. The NCCN just keeps Um, Every year they update their um, eligibility criteria for people who need to consider genetic testing. And and prostate cancer has has been a a relatively recent one.
1: Well, yeah, as I said earlier, you know, I had pulled some things off to some of the the websites for guidelines. And that's what they're saying. It's just it's so new um, Mm -hmm. in the last several years because they found that link with BRCA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and BRCA really, you know, opened the door for us to learn so much more. So being able to, you know, now utilize, understand more about prostate cancer and treat these men earlier. But it's funny that you mentioned the indication. It's usually only 10% of the population of all prostates.
0: Correct. I mean and, and even so wow. the the quote for women with breast cancer, five to ten percent of breast cancers wow. are due to hereditary mutations. But that means that ninety to ninety five percent are not right. due to genetic mutations, right? right. So ninety percent of prostate cancer is not due to genetic mutations.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting. Do we see mm-hmm. those numbers a national number, or are there are there areas, and we'll just use the United States, where those numbers are more variable? You know, do you have a higher percentage of a mutation in one part of the country or the other?
0: Well, I think it depends on your ethnicity, right? Mm, right. So people of Ashkenazi Jewish descent automatically have, you know, a two to four percent mm. Chance of carrying a mutation in BRCA1 or 2. For the non Ashkenazi Jewish population, that's 0.2 to 0.4%. So it's a huge difference. So, say New York City, where you may have more Ashkenazi. Jewish population, wow. yeah. it's gonna at that it's gonna look different depending on where your population is.
1: Yeah, I knew so. you know years ago I did a um, breast cancer support group um, with the American Cancer Society, and there was a young young woman, young mother, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. was Ashkenazi Jew, and she mm-hmm. had uh, very aggressive breast cancer. But you mm-hmm. know she did well initially, but then. Um, did you know, unfortunately, treatment back then was a much you know this is a long time ago. Oh, you know our treatments so have changed different. so much. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. now of her children, and I know she had two sons, you know, and you wonder, mm-hmm. you know if they're being spoken to or if they look at that. And you would hope as they get older, those conversations happen
0: and my biggest message is, half the people who have a genetic mutation are men and half are women. Wow. So, right? I mean, but, right. but women have been aware of genetic counseling and testing for these mutations for a long time. And men are continually surprised when they come in that they could carry a mutation. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's half the people who carry mutations are men and half are women. So we don't want to ignore half the population,
1: right? No. I mean, these two young boys could carry a mutation and, and, you know, marry someday and pass it on.
0: Right. So what you want to do is you test mom. If right. If mom's positive, right. then when the kids get old enough, you test them. And if mom's negative, the kids don't need to be tested. Right. It saves them from testing.
1: Now, you know, we you mentioned a little bit, um, you said the Lynch syndrome, and I know, you know, the Lynch syndrome we identify with colorectal. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection to prostate with that too.
0: Um, I think right now it's a it's a weaker connection. Mm. Lynch is colon, uterine, or endometrial, and ovarian, mm. and then a whole host of GI cancers. And there is some evidence that there's an increased risk of colon cancer when you have Lynch syndrome. Mm. I mean, sorry, of prostate cancer when you have Lynch syndrome. But right now, they don't recommend changing screening for men who have a mutation in the Lynch syndrome gene, but they're always learning more. And, right. you know, every year when the NCCN guidelines come out, I comb through them and I make sure that there have been no dramatic changes in the risk of cancer, um, or um, you know, management for those people.
1: You know, and you know, I guess what I would also say here is, we're educating you know everyone out there is, if you have a mutation, whatever that mm-hmm. mutation is, and you're aware of a mutation, mm-hmm. you should have s- cancer screenings, irregardless. So your colonoscopy is done, your mammography is, if appropriate, or you know, all those things, you know, to to ensure that you are you are. Checking on everything you could possibly check for in cancer screening.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you have a mutation, if you have Lynch syndrome and you have an increased risk of colon cancer, that's where you're going to throw most of your energy, right? right. You're going to do colonoscopies right. every year, every other year. Um, you should, but every woman should do a mammogram every year starting at 40 with mm-hmm. an ultrasound for dense breast tissue, and she should do a breast health exam monthly and a clinical breast exam yearly. You don't ignore your other parts, right, right. if right. you have a mutation in a gene that increases your risk of certain types of cancers, and people without mutations should still do all their recommended cancer screening, breast, you know, your pap smears for uh, cervical cancer, you should do a colonoscopy every 10 years, regardless right. if you have a mutation or not, or family history or not, that's just good cancer screening.
1: And men should get their prostate Yes, checked yearly and like their PSA's. It. Oh yeah. my goodness! I know I my my husband What's was one Johnny
0: wondering... doing over there. Is oh, changing John, back. There? Johnny, are you doing that? Johnny's jumping on. <laughs> I can hear him uh, laughing. Yeah, doing all right. Yeah, you should you should start at forty five. <laughs> the average risk male should consider and and the guidelines are um, it, they're not hard and fast. It's start to consider prostate cancer screening at 45. And the reason why it's consider screening is like you mentioned with the PSAs and are you going down a rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. you know, of uh, testing and retesting and doing all these things if your PSA is abnormal and there's no cancer. Um, So the average person should consider starting screening at 45 and then do it every year every other year but a high-risk Person, So somebody with a family history or someone who has a genetic mutation, they have to really strongly consider starting their prostate cancer screening at 40. So you, you make that age earlier and right. then not every other year, but every single year. So because you're in that higher risk category than the average person.
1: I mean, there is just so much. And, you know, you went back and did, you know, your, your education back in the day and you it must be changing constantly as as we're talking about and every guideline that comes out you Uh you're constantly have to be on top of it but it's also up to you I would believe to be educating all of our other clinicians within the specialties to make sure that they're aware of the testing that's changed because they
0: may not know Oh, absolutely. I mean, back, like you said, back in the day. So when I started genetic counseling and testing in 2005, 2006, we were testing two genes, BRCA1 and 2. And then in 2012, it was, you know, a panel of, of, how many was it, like five or six genes. And then in 2017, it was more genes. Now I do a a routine 77-gene panel and, you know... I have tested some people multiple times because they want to know whether they have a mutation in the additional genes if their original testing was negative. Right. So, and it takes a lot to stay on top of this. I have all these guidelines in my head. I can Mm. look at somebody's family history and say, yes, they meet the guidelines, no, they don't. But the average healthcare provider, they are thinking about, many other things rather than the indications for genetic testing. So, you know, I I do encourage if, if there's ever a question about family history, I get calls all the time, um, you know, does this person qualify? Does this person qualify? And I'm happy to help with that.
1: And it's so, you know, we talked about this earlier, but knowing that we have that right here right now, is incredible because I know back in the day before you were doing this, you know, like you said, patients were going down to Yale and waiting mm-hmm. for those appointments mm-hmm. was forever and then you had to wait to go back months to go back and get to the get, results. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean that's why we wanted to bring it into the Waterbury community. And still occasionally I'll get referred a patient who doesn't need or who needs the type of genetic testing that I don't do, and I, um, you know, I asked the patient, you know, how did it go? And, oh, I don't have an appointment for four months, you know? I mean, that's a really long time to wait for an appointment. And
1: as we continue to grow this program, hopefully in the future, that won't happen, because it's so important for patients to be able to get access to care where and when they need it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I can usually see the patient, if not within the week that they get referred, but the next week. I mean, really, it's it's. Um, I, 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 I do really try to get people in when they need to be seen.
1: So within a month, they've had their appointment, their testing, and probably their follow-up appointment.
0: Yes. Yes. You know. So the results take two to three weeks, and it's more two weeks now, right. and it's just a matter of the scheduling. But yeah, if I draw your blood on September 1st, it's processing in the lab two days later then it takes about 14 days to come in then i get the results and i you know synthesize and do the research and you know talk think about you know what we're going to talk about when the results come in and then and then you know sometimes it's it's within 2 weeks that i can get it all done
1: and where are we doing this testing
0: in my office
1: which is
0: So at the moment, I'm at Polakoff Breast Care in Southbury um, three days a week. And then the other day a week, I'm at the Harold Lever Regional Cancer Center in the St. Mary's Oncology uh, wing. But um, in about six weeks, I will be at the Lever Center um, all four days.
1: And we're super excited about that. I am too. I We're, am too. I'm glad that worked out and you're closer to the patients, closer, you know, right right off the highway.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, patients really. love coming yeah. to the Lever Center, yeah.
1: And it's great parking and it's easy to get in and to get out and, you know, closer to where the doctors all are, too. It was mm-hmm. great having you with Dr.
0: Polakoff, but that's where this all started, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, so, what we, you know, figured out is now that genetic counseling is not indicated for just breast cancer. Right. Why don't you put the genetic counselor you know services with oncology which is a wider range of cancers. Right. Right.
1: Because a guy does not want to walk into a breast office.
0: Yeah. They don't, love that. they don't love that. Yeah. But you know, once we, you know, once we, you know, wave them in and tell them they're in the right place and we're friendly and it's all good, you know, they're, 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 right just, they're pretty good. Right. Right. Johnny. Yeah.
1: Johnny's sitting here <laughs> laughing in the background. So I want to be able to um, finish tonight and see, I told you we could talk for an hour. You never think we can, but two girls, we can definitely speak for Oh, them yeah, we got this. We got this. Um, <laughs> I want to end this with what you'd like, the last um, bit that you'd like to be able to give to um, men out there tonight about prostate cancer and what they should do um, if there's even a suspect that there may be um, a genetic link.
0: Okay, so number one, know your family history. So that you can advocate for yourself so that, you know, this is, this is seen as, you know, the possibility that there could be more going on than just prostate cancer. Could there be a genetic link to it? That's number one. Um, number two, do your prostate cancer screening right. no matter, you know whether you have a mutation or you don't and spread the word to your relatives that prostate cancer screening is important. And if it can identify something early, then the easier it is to treat.
1: And how does someone get a hold of you?
0: Well, at the moment, um, (laughs) Dr. Polakop's office in Southbury. um, So that's um, to, uh, I to have you. Urgent care, right. yes. I
1: have you, 203 262 2300. And then once we actually, so patients can call there or do they need a referral? Um,
0: you can call there, but the staff will ask for, you know, a demographic sheet, right. you know, from your primary or something. But no, people people don't need a referral, but you need to at least provide the. The demographic information.
1: And how long can they, was that usually that first appointment about?
0: Um, I book a 75 minute appointment, which sounds like a long time, but um, when you think about the people who have 18 aunts on one side and 15 uncles on the other, that hour and 15 minutes goes pretty fast when we're doing a family tree. Um, so we do the family tree, I do the regular intake, you know, meds, allergies, we talk about the genes and what the indications are for testing, so I do education as well, and then the blood draw. So usually we can do all of that within the 75 minutes.
1: So even if you're going to be at the Lever Center that day, week, and soon to be four, right now we're using that number, but we will update yep. the website um, as that transition happens in six months, or six weeks, rather. Six right.
0: Weeks. Yeah. And then the results appointment is I usually book a 30 minute appointment, but oftentimes it doesn't take that much. And that can be a telehealth appointment. I oh, don't know good. how people feel about yeah. that, but um, um, it's
1: wor- been working really well. Yeah, I mean, and one thing we learned from COVID is there are certain, there's certain tools that we have in our toolbox, in the busy world of all of us, and we can utilize the telemedicine to do a lot of things, not everything, but we can do we can do a lot of things.
0: And genetic counseling is perfect for telehealth because I don't need to lay my hands on you to assess you, right? I need to talk to you and elicit the family history and your personal history. So it's really like a wonderful um, ability to be able to do that um, when somebody's sitting on their couch in their house or they're taking a lunch break at work or whatever.
1: So, Yvonne, we are we are at the end. Oh, my goodness, good. So, thank you. Thank you again so much. So, again, everyone, this is Yvonne Rudy stein APRN. She leads our program for genetic screening and counseling. Um, you can find her on our website, trinityhealthofne.org. Um, the direct phone number is right in our Southbury location where she can book you either there or at LEVER, 203-262-2300. So, Yvonne, thanks again so much. Have a great night. Thanks so much, Robin. Bye, Johnny. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you, everyone, for joining us again um, tonight. And we will be back in two weeks with one of our uh, urologists to continue to talk about Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. Have a great night and a great weekend.